and that's obedience to God. So thank you for your obedience. Uh, today, we are concluding a four-part series called Change Your World. We're looking at an incredible story about an ordinary guy from the Old Testament named Nehemiah. And we've been doing this for the last three weeks. Uh, Pastor Troy has brought us three different parts to this, and I'll be uh, privileged to bring you the fourth part today. Um, and today, I want you to know, before we, before we begin, that I believe with all my heart that you... For whatever reason you're here today and however often you come and wherever you're hearing this message from this morning, you were not created by accident. It was God's providence and goodness that are the reason that you were born. He knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. He formed you. He gave you gifts and passions and desires. And he gave you those things to do something that will make an eternal difference in this world. And today, I believe the Spirit of God will speak to many of you, to stir you, to shake you, to move you, to inspire you to change the world for the glory of God. And so with that in mind, let me bring you up to speed about Nehemiah in case you missed anything and so we all have a refresher. Nehemiah, as I said, was an ordinary guy from the Old Testament. When we say ordinary, what we mean is there's a lot of um, uh, stories in the Old Testament about very extraordinary people, kings and prophets and priests and uh, conquerors and warriors. Nehemiah was none of those things. He was a pretty regular guy fulfilling a pretty regular job. Um, he was serving the King Artaxerxes of Persia in a role known as cupbearer. We've talked about that. He was like a consultant, a servant to the king. One of his main jobs was to drink from the cup every time the king was going to drink from the cup. And then it was like if, you know, if he died, the king was like, mm, better not, you know. So that, that was his job. That was part of his job. Uh, thankfully, he was still here. So it looks like the cups were pretty good up to that point. Um, and then he was, uh, he had heard from his brother, Nehemiah was uh, an Israelite, one of God's chosen people. And um, he was living in this land of Persia, but he had heard from his brother about the plight of the people. Um, we heard earlier that in the year 587 BC, there was an evil king named Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, he and the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Judah. They crushed Solomon's temple, they burned the gates, and they left the city in ruin. And thousands and thousands of Jewish people were taken into captivity. And decades passed and no one had rebuilt this wall. And then one day Nehemiah's brother showed up in Persia and uh, told him about his people. And Nehemiah's heart just sank. He was broken because the people of God were vulnerable. They had no leadership and no direction. And so Nehemiah started to seek the heart of God. And you'll see in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament that he prays all through the book. There are 12 different times recorded in scripture that he prays and seeks God. And then he goes back before the king to ask permission to leave his job, which he was pretty good at because, again, they were both alive at this point. He was pretty good at his job, and he asked the king permission to travel back to his homeland to try to assess the situation, assemble some people to do um, what nobody else could. And he believed that God could use him to lead the people to rebuild the wall. 
And at first, um, when he got there, because he was given permission, things did not go well. But eventually, they started to make progress. And what we learned last week um, is that as soon as we start to make spiritual progress, as the work goes down, the opposition always heats up. As the work goes down, the opposition always heats up. The moment you start creating movement on behalf of things that matter to God, the moment you start to kind of move the needle on God's mission for you, your spiritual enemy will show up to resist the very work that God put on your heart. And what I want you to know today is that if your enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. He will do whatever it takes to get your gaze off of your mission, off of your calling, off of your purpose, and distract you from God's will for your life. And that's exactly what happened in this story. The wall started to go up, and the enemies, we talked about them, Samballat, Tobiah, and a guy named Geshem showed up and tried to distract Nehemiah off of the job. Let's read in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Um, you can read those off the screen today. It says, When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it. So he was doing a good job, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So what happened is Nehemiah got this message and these enemies that were already enemies. In the story, we had already heard these people kind of coming against him and criticizing him. Um, they said, Nehemiah, stop doing what you're doing. Stop doing the work. Stop building the wall. Uh, meet us at one of the villages. Meet us at this, this particular place. Okay, so they called for a meeting. And some people might choose to meet with the enemy, Right? Because they're, um, maybe they, they feel intimidated, they feel an obligation. Have you ever felt an obligation to your enemy? Or, or maybe they would even have this, this kind of savior complex. This is an opportunity to convert my critics and expand my influence. The problem is, what we often think of as an opportunity, God calls a distraction. Now I'm going to say that again because this is very, very, very important. What we often think is an opportunity, God calls a, a distraction. So what we think might be an opportunity to do something that, that God wants us to do quite often can be a distraction to, from the enemy to take us and divert us off of the purpose, off of what we're supposed to be doing. So these enemies to Nehemiah, they said, please come meet with us. And, um, I, you know... I want to put this into perspective for us. I would argue that there's never been an easier time to be distracted in the history of the world than today. Right? There are so many distractions. It has never been easier to be passionate about wasting your time. Right? We are working more than we ever have. Work weeks keep expanding and expanding, but the week doesn't get any bigger. We have more extracurricular activities than we ever have. There's more entertainment available to us than there ever has been, right? Netflix, anybody, movies, all kinds of things, all kinds of activities and hobbies. Social media is constantly at our fingertips. If the devil can't destroy you, he'll get very excited simply distracting you. 
So what do we see in this story? The enemies, the critics, they ask Nehemiah for a meeting. So there's no social media for them to try and cancel him, right? And there's no uh, stuff for Nehemiah to do. There's no like softball league for him to join where it would kind of like suck his time away. But they're asking him for a meeting. The enemies are. Um, and, and Nehemiah rejects the meeting so that he could stay on task and build the wall. Nehemiah, meet with us. No. Nehemiah, can we have a meeting? No. Nehemiah, we want to talk about your philosophy and, and have a good conversation and help you see another way. No. I submit to you that one of the most strategic skills you can develop in order to do what God has called you to do is the ability to say no to things that might distract you. No is one of your most important words. In fact, no is not just a word, it is an entire sentence. It is a whole statement. You can actually grow with your nose. You don't want to be distracted by things that take you out of God's perfect will. So someone say, you know, how do you, how do you say no? When someone asks you, can we have a meeting? Can you do this? Can you do that? Do you want to go do this? How do you say no? I'm going to teach you. Uh, 17 easy steps um, from A to Z. Here we go. The way you say no is like this. You say no. Try it. Just try it. No. Oh. Doesn't that feel good? No. Feels N-O. Okay, I'm going to show you one more time, right? If you, if you feel like it's just too simple, Trin, you can add a little bit of pizzazz. You can try one of these. You can try a little No. Give it, give it the hand, just see. No, good. If you really wanna get crazy, because I'm a mom, and so I've kind of made a hobby of figuring out how many ways I can say no, you can give it the little spin. You can do one of these, you can go, no, right? Right, or this was one of my parents' favorites. I think it was from a TV show way back, in the, but they would, they, you know, they'd be talking and normal, and we'd ask to do something, and my dad would go, Hoo-ah, no. And it drove me crazy because it scared me, and then he said no. So we're, we're going to do this. I, here's what I want you to do. This is, again, this, I know, it's a hard skill. So we're going to learn it together, all right? So I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to say no. Are you ready for this? Are we going to do it? No. Do you want to buy it? No. Are we going to go? No. Okay, try this. What do we want? No. When do we want it? No. There you go. You got it. You figured it out. <laughs> Here's the deal. Don't say maybe when you mean no. Don't waste your time. Don't waste somebody else's time. This will set you free. No is a complete sentence. You don't even have to say no because Jesus said no. There'd be crowds of people, he'd say, yes, 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 I will heal you, yes, I will heal you, yes, I will preach to you, yes, I will answer your questions. And then he would say, I'm done for the day. And he would walk away. He wasn't mean, he wasn't cruel, he was being wise. There were many times that he would say no to the crowds so he could say yes to his father. There's actually magic in no. See, every time we say yes to something, we're actually saying no to something else. We trip ourselves up when we say yes to everything because we're never saying no out loud, but we're saying no to something. And usually it's something that we should be saying yes to. If Jesus had said yes to every single thing that every person wanted from him and every opportunity that came his way, he never would have accomplished his mission here on earth. 
if Pastor Troy said yes to every single thing that every person asked of him and every opportunity that came his way, he would get off track and he wouldn't be able to lead us well. And sometimes it's not the questions that people are asking us directly. I want you to think about the, the cultural expectations or social expectations. If you say yes to overtime at work, if you say yes to remodeling your kitchen, if you say yes to camping on the weekend, if you say yes to every birthday, graduation, housewarming, and gender reveal party you're invited to, when will you go to church? When will you pray? When will you sleep? And none of those things I just mentioned are bad. They're, they're pretty cool. But each time we say yes to something, by default, we are saying no to something else. And so wisdom says that we must acknowledge what we're saying no to so we can decide if it's the right thing, if it's on mission. Saying yes to overtime is great. But are you saying no to being there for your family? Saying yes to updating and upgrading your home is wonderful. But are you saying no to wisdom or generosity or financial commitments that you've already made? Saying yes to camping is so much fun if you're not me, because I don't camp. But are you saying no to making sure that your family is at church? Because once in a while, that's cool. It's when it becomes a habit and we don't acknowledge it that it becomes a problem. Satan is using an opportunity, something that we enjoy, to distract us. The truth is you cannot be available to everyone or everything all the time. If you are always available, you will eventually have nothing to give. And so we must, as wide stewards of the time that God has given us, be strategic about our no. We don't say no because we don't care. We say no because we really care about the things God has called us to do. Just because you could do something doesn't mean you should do something. Four different times, four different times the enemy asks for a meeting. And four different times Nehemiah gives the exact same answer. No, I'm not going to do it. Let's talk. Stop building. No, 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 no. Then on the fifth time, scripture says this, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 5 and 7, it says, Then the fifth time, Samballot sent his aide to meet with me, or sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hands was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even been appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. There's a rumor. People have been talking. Somebody said... Some of us have been thinking. Do you know what Pastor Troy says rumors are? Rumors are carried by haters, spread by fools, and believed by idiots. That is something you can write down. Rumors are carried by haters, spread by fools, and believed by idiots, our pastor and fearless leader. So there's a rumor that Nehemiah and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that's why they're building the wall. There's a rumor. Listen, don't let the whispers of people distract you from the call of God. Don't let it happen. 
Don't let it pull you away. I hope you'll understand you will never do big things if you're distracted by small-minded people. We're never going to let the opinions of others take us away from the calling of God. There's a rumor. Here's some good advice. Don't worry about what people say about you. Worry what's true about you. Don't worry about what people say about you. Worry about what's true about you. Live a life that honors God, and don't let the critics or the haters knock you out of God's mission. The guy says, Nehemiah, there's a rumor that you want to be king. And Nehemiah says this in chapter 6, verse 8, I sent him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. There's no truth to any part of your story. Now, I want you to imagine what Nehemiah could have done. He could have been like, oh, people think that? No, I have to go set them straight right now. Uh, call, call my people. I need to make a statement about this, right? Or I better change what I'm doing so it doesn't look like what they're saying that it looks like. I need to fix this right now. I don't want them to think that way about me. It's not happening. It's not true. I know my heart. I know my place. I know what God has called me to do, and I don't have time for this. There's no truth to any part of your story. You're making the whole thing up. Instead of letting this opposition discourage Nehemiah, instead of, uh, you know, oh, they don't like me. We're never going to get this done. God simply made him more determined. I want you to watch how it's described in the very next verse, in verse 9. It says this, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for their work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. They're just trying to intimidate us. They're trying to discourage us and stop the work. And he's saying, this is going to make me stronger. This is going to make me more determined. The opposition is heating up, but I am going to double down on my work because I know what God called me to do. I love the way that they worked. They would actually work, it said then, with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. The opposition had built their faith. They knew that God was with them, and so they worked hard, and they protected themselves hard, and they threw themselves into this call of God. You are created for more. God gave you gifts to make a difference in the church and in the world, and the moment that you take a step of faith and you start to see some progress, you will experience resistance. But I declare that you will see the wall start to go up because God is going to bless what you're doing if you're doing what God told you to do. If you have a dream to be a foster parent, you will hit a wall. Either you'll hit a wall preventing you from becoming a foster parent, or after you do, you'll hit a wall convincing you that you never should have tried. If you have a dream to teach people about the Bible, you'll run into roadblock after roadblock your own uncertainty, other people's criticism, rejection. If you have a dream to start giving more to the ministry or to help other people, there will be unexpected bills, financial uncertainty, something to draw your attention away from generosity. For me personally, in this season, it's been writing. I've been a writer for a long, long time. But every time, every single time over the years that I've started to devote time and energy to actually pursuing this career, I've hit a wall. 
there's been sudden tension in a relationship and I feel like I have to invest in that person or there's an emergency at work or at home or there's another opportunity in my career. I see someone fail in that field and I wonder if I can even do it or I see somebody succeed and I think I couldn't do that. Most recently I had kids. Not that Satan sent the kids. I, no, probably not. <laughs> But all of a sudden, I started hearing this from so many people. You should definitely write someday when your kids are grown. And I bought it. I, nobody was trying to discourage me. People were being encouraging. But what kind of ridiculousness is that? Wait to do what God has called me to do until what? Until my kids don't need me? I'll be 30 this year, and I am still constantly interrupting my parents. If I waited until, uh, if my parents waited until uh, their kids stopped needing them to do what the God had called them to do, there would be no New Life Church, there would be no New Life Counseling Center, and there would be four very bratty 20-somethings just bebopping around here with no solid example for what it means to follow Jesus. Wait until my kids are grown to obey God? Not only does that black out like 20 plus years of my life, what message does that send to my children? Only obey God when it's convenient? Or worse, you are an insurmountable obstacle to the will of God. Here's the awful truth. The enemy is really, really smart. And he's great at making his distraction look an awful lot like a great opportunity, like great wisdom. When God starts to use you, the enemy will do anything he can to derail your ministry and your life. Nehemiah 6.10 says this. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deleah, the son of Methabeth, who was shut in his home. A lot of, lot of words here. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. So there's this guy that, that is not saying, you know, stop what you're doing, but he's saying this, Nehemiah, I'm your buddy. I've got some intel. Your, your, your enemies, they, they want to kill you. They've got a bounty on your head. So you and me, we should go into the temple of God and lock the doors and we'll be safe from your enemies. And what's interesting about this, it was a big deal to go into the temple of God. Nehemiah actually had the authority to go into the temple. But if he did so for personal gain and not for the glory of God, he would have been abusing his power. He'd be sinning, and he would lose his credibility with the people. So what did he do? Well, it says in verses 11 and 12, But I said, should a man like me run away, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. This guy was a traitor. They were hoping to intimidate Nehemiah and make him sin. And then they would be able to discredit him. So Nehemiah says, I'm not going to hide out. I'm not going to take special privileges. This isn't about me. It wasn't about me when we started, and it's not going to be about me now. So what happens? The enemies don't go away. I don't care how successful you are. Listen to me. This is important. The enemy is lying to you if he's telling you that at some point you will reach a level of success, a level of faith, a level of spiritual maturity where there will be no opposition. There is no gold level Christianity where you are no longer attacked. 
There is no point where you're just strong enough that you don't feel it anymore. The stronger you get, the stronger the opposition will be. So quit looking for that pie in the sky moment that you will no longer have any opposition in your life because all you're doing is setting yourself up for failure. And I don't know who needed to hear that today except for I know that I did. We're not gonna reach a point where everything's okay because we earned it. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I don't care how successful you are, the enemies will show up. I've heard it said this way, new levels often equals new devils. So get ready because they're still coming. Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem, they continued to taunt him. They tried to discourage Nehemiah. They threatened his life, and they tried to distract him. There's this verse we looked at before. Nehemiah 6.3 says, So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Probably my favorite verse in this book might be one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Nehemiah didn't come down off the wall. Not even to tell them that. He kept building the wall and he sent them this message. I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. I am doing a great project. You might remember at the very first week, the very beginning of this uh, message series, we looked at Nehemiah 2, verses 17 and 18. It says this, Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God. This is his prayer. Because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu in 52 days. Nehemiah said, let the good work begin. He knew when he started that what he was doing was a good thing. But as he continues in this story and he continues to see the faithfulness of God, he realizes this isn't just a good work. This is a great work. This is, what some, this is something that God created me to do. He put me in the right place at the right time with the right people and the right skills. This isn't just a good work. This is a great work. And Nehemiah sends this message to his haters and the doubters and the critics. He says, I'm doing a great work. I can't be bothered by your opinion. I won't be distracted by your criticism. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I stop what I'm doing to come down to you? I'm doing a great work. I'm envisioning maybe a mom with toddlers. And I know that I'm in there right now. Kids in diapers all over you all the time. You might want to do other things with your life right now. You're feeling a longing for something different. This season won't last forever. And what you're doing right now is a great work. Embrace the great work and don't come down. Maybe somebody that's trying to pay off debt and it's just so big. There's so much and it just feels totally overwhelming. 
The enemy is trying to distract you and discourage you from your calling by dangling before you something that you want to buy or something that you feel like you need. Remember, you are doing a great work. Don't come down. Somebody in here has a vision for something, a heart for something, and you want to make a difference, a real difference in the world. And it seems like you take two steps forward and then three steps back. Don't give up the fight. Stay in the game. Don't grow weary in doing good. Because at the proper time, God says you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Don't come down. You're doing a great work. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. And it says this, we read this a few minutes ago. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. No miracle. No supernatural move. No moment where they stepped back and the wall came to be. God didn't speak into the situation and do it for them. God gave them the strength to do the work that he had called them to do. No talking donkey, no fire from heaven, no burning bush, no parting of the Red Sea, no army of 10-foot angels with heavenly chainsaws singing, we are the champions. Nothing. Just an ordinary guy whose heart was broken for something that God pointed out for him. Back in week one, we saw that Nehemiah sat down to cry. Then he knelt down to pray. Then he stood up to act. We discovered in week two that once he stood up to act, he sought God faithfully. He defined the vision clearly. He made his plans carefully. And he inspired people passionately. And in week three, we saw that as the naysayers came at him, he pushed back the critics and kept his eyes on the prize. Whenever the enemies would try to distract him, he said no to anything that was lesser because he was saying yes to a great work. Nehemiah 6, verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Who was glorified? Not Nehemiah. The one who called for it. The one who empowered it. The one who opened the doors. The one who made it possible was glorified through it. Our God was there in the middle and he was there in the setbacks and he was there in the victory. And wherever you are in the process right now, our God, he's with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is empowering you. He's storing up within you. He's reinforcing his call in you. And no man can take that away. When your enemies come against you, God is still with you. Greater is the one who is in you than he who is in the world. Never, ever, ever come down from your calling. Four weeks. Four weeks of inspiration. 
four weeks of preparation, four weeks of motivation from God. All kinds of practical and spiritual advice on what to do when God gives you a calling in your heart. But you need to hear this today. You will never finish what you don't start. You will never accomplish what you don't set out to accomplish. God is a miracle working God. But he is also a holy God that calls for obedience. You will never ever finish what you don't start. Sit down and cry over what God is giving you a heart for. Kneel down and pray and stand up and act. Let the good work, no, let the great work begin and all for the glory of God. God, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would equip us this morning, your people, your children, your church, to call us and to equip us for what you want to do. I believe the Spirit of God is speaking this morning to you. If you're here, you're a part of this. I believe he's speaking in a variety of ways because there's a variety of ways that God works through the variety that is the people of the church. But I have a specific challenge for you today, church family. There are some of you that are not yet serving anywhere in church. You're a part of this family, the family of God. You're a part of his body. And if you aren't using your gifts, there is something our God wants to be done for His glory and to make a difference in the lives of others. Some of you are already doing something. You're finding fulfillment or maybe you're even in the middle of a struggle but you recognize that God really wants you to do more. Now here's my concern. Well, Trin, you said to say no. So now you're asking me to serve in church. And the answer is no. Look, here's a lot of the reasons that people say they're not serving in church. I'm just too busy. I'm not talented enough. This isn't something that I am passionate about. Hey, I'm not your mom. I am your sister. And I'm the leader of this campus, so it's like I'm your big sister. And I'm pretty good at that. I've had a lot of experience. So here's big sister Trent leveling with you. You're saying no to the wrong things. Not because I desperately need you to serve in the nursery or be a greeter or anything like that. It's kind of a weird line that I walk when I ask you to serve in the church because we do need you never ever forget that you are valuable and it's not the same without you on the other hand God always provides for his church so I don't know desperation as a leader it's the same with tithing like Samuel talked about today it's more important to me that you obey for you than for me or for this church or for the bottom line 
We're all a part of this. We're all a part of the body of Christ. It talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. We're all a part of it and we must act like a part of it. Does that mean that you need to be in a specific program or position here? No, I'm not gonna preach that to you. But I also know you. I know you and I love you. And there is a place for you to serve here for your benefit and for the edification of this body. Where? Well, it depends. What breaks your heart? What are you sitting down and crying about? There might be a way for you to move the needle on that burden here as a part of what's happening at New Life Church. But even more than that, what do you have to offer? I'm not here to fit a square peg into a round hole. There are some people whose talents have a pretty obvious place in what we do here. If you're a musician, there's the worship team. If you're a computer enthusiast, be a part of the online campus. If you really, really love babies, we got a lot of them. You can work in the nursery. But others aren't as obvious. And I cannot stress this enough. It is my job and my calling to help you figure out where you fit because you do fit. I pastor this campus. I'm here for you. There is a place for you here and you need to be plugged into what's happening around here for you just as much for anybody else. Not every job is the pinnacle of your calling. You know the people that I really, really admire? in this church it's our janitorial team the gaspar family shows up the carol family shows up the acosta family shows up they come in and they get things clean and i know that none of them are doing that because god created them to vacuum they selflessly give of themselves for the good of our church family they found a need and they've chosen to meet it it's all negotiable. Really, it is. It's negotiable with your schedule, with your talents, with your comfort level. It's negotiable. But you know what's not negotiable? Being a part of this body. Not volunteering. That's not family. We need to be a part of this body. So here's what we're going to do this morning. And I, I realize our time runs short, but this shouldn't take long. I'm going to pray. And while I pray, you, should you choose to be obedient to the call of Almighty God, are going to take a Connect card from the seat pocket in front of you or behind you, and you're going to write something down. If God has put a specific area on your heart, you're going to write that down. Be vulnerable with me. There is no variation of this where I call you up and say, who do you think you are thinking you can serve on that team? Get out of here with yourself. Be vulnerable with me. Or start a conversation. I don't know where to serve. I'm kind of into X, but I don't know where that fits. But you're going to fill out a Connect card. Now I realize a lot of you are serving. I'm very proud of you. If you feel so compelled that the Spirit of God says you're where you need to be, write that down too, so I can celebrate with you. But if you feel God calling you to make a lateral move, to add something, to increase your burden somewhere, that's what you need to write down. As I pray, out of obedience not to me, but to the Spirit of God.
God, I pray that you would speak to us individually. Stir us. You've called us to this church for such a time as this, and you are an amazing God who equips us to our call. So please, please help us, Lord. Help us to hear from you and to walk in obedience with you, no matter how vulnerable, nervous, confused it might make us. Because we know that everything you do is working together for our good. We trust you this morning, Lord. As you're writing, because I believe that you're writing, because I believe that you're being obedient, as you're writing, here's a question a lot of people ask all the time, in fact. Do I need to be saved to serve? The answer is no. You do not need to be a Christian to serve at New Life Church. Now, don't write me any emails. I am the captain. I'm in charge. There's guidelines. I know what I'm doing. You can't preach if you don't know Jesus, but serve, absolutely. This question comes up all the time, which is crazy because, and I might step on your toes a little bit here, church. Why is it that people that don't even know Jesus are asking for the opportunity to serve and some Christ followers need their arm twisted? You can serve if you don't know Jesus. If you're here, you're a part of this. But I guess my question would be, why wait? You're not serving because you intend to say no to Jesus and yes to the church forever. The question usually comes from somebody who's definitely going to say yes to Jesus, but's putting it off for some reason. They're struggling with previous hurt in the church, or they're still trying to reconcile a loving God with an atrocious trauma. They don't feel like enough, or they just think they'll have time to do it later. And to you, I would say later is not a given. I believe that God brought you here today for the start of new life. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was raised again so that we might spend an eternity with a loving God and not just after death but even now that we might experience life and life abundant in Jesus Christ you have been created for a purpose and you will never fulfill that purpose without the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from saying yes to Jesus so this morning if you have not said yes to Jesus in a real way and allowed him to come in and change you from the inside out. This is your moment. And you may do that by believing in your heart and repeating this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, forgive all my sins. Make me new. Jesus, save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can follow you always. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it in your heart, then you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And welcome into your new life. You can put that on your Connect card as well. 
And those cards, Pastor Kyler is going to have some people collecting as you leave today. So I am asking you to follow these instructions to leave that card with me today and start the conversation about how you can go deeper into being a part of the body of Christ. I'm proud of you. I'm proud to serve you. And I'm thankful for you. And I'm really looking forward to spending some time with you next Sunday at River Islands at 9 a.m. Don't forget to bring your uh, favorite chair. And I'll see you there when we worship together. And in the meantime, I will be following up on every Connect card that's turned in today so that we can start a conversation and get you further into the will of God. I am so proud of you. I am here for you and available to you. So may God bless you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. God bless you, church. You're dismissed.